We're going to be in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. This is the third year, or the third November I've been here visiting since the church plant, and it's, it's always a blessing. Well, the third, it's, it's just awesome to see what the Lord's doing and to see some of you again from uh, the previous years. Whenever God's working, it's exciting, big or small. And so, once again, I'd like to encourage you. You know, God, uh, it's amazing what he can do. And uh, he uses donkeys to do his work. And uh, we, are, we, are, we are blessed to be a part of that work. And he gets all the glory for it, right? Well, we are in Acts chapter 27 this morning. And we're going to start in the ninth verse. Actually, we'll back up to verse 7. Acts 27, verse 7. I think most of us want to make good decisions. And this morning we're going to look at the key factors in making a bad decision. And as a result, hopefully make less of them. So Acts 27. It's interesting that Luke, the writer of this gospel, would devote so much time in this sailing trip and devote so much of this section of his gospel to this voyage, to this journey. And I believe that there are several reasons for that, but almost all of us have heard the old saying, life is a journey. Life is a voyage. And it is definitely that. And I believe one of the reasons why Luke spends so much time here on this sailing trip is because it is a great analogy, the Christian life. It is a great comparison to that which we go through as God's people. As believers, we go through storm after storm after storm. Some can be avoided, some cannot. So as God's people, and in his word we see that there is a great comparison that we can derive from this story that Paul gives us, or I should say Luke, I'm going to probably say that several times. It's Luke, but Paul's a part of this journey. And there's several analogies or metaphors, comparisons that we can make with the Christian life to this journey. And there are shipwrecks to be avoided. And I think as we learn from Julius, the centurion, and the bad decision he makes here, that, as the Bible tells us in Romans, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. So God has given us good examples, he's given us bad examples, and they're all for us to learn from. So we can learn from Julius this morning and the bad decision he makes that will affect 276 people how we can avoid making horrible decisions. Several people with Paul on this journey, as I mentioned, Luke. Now, Luke is a doctor. He is the the good physician. Jesus Christ is the great physician. This is the good doctor. He is Luke, Paul's personal physician. He has a personal doctor with him, which he really needed. Because Paul was constantly, he was being stoned, he was being, he had horrible health. Uh, most historians believe he was suffering from an, a rare Asian eye disease, or at that time not so rare. 
but an Asian eye disease. Uh, it could have been that he was suffering from several other ailments. And uh, he was bruised and battered. So Luke is his personal assistant, his personal doctor assisting him. And then there's also Aristarchus, who's mentioned earlier in the chapter. Aristarchus, uh, he was Paul's personal assistant, one who was just there to minister to him. And these two individuals is very likely that they both gave up their freedom in order to be with Paul on this journey. That previously they were free, but they were willing to become slaves. And Paul mentions in uh, Colossians chapter 3 that Aristarchus was his fellow prisoner. But it's very possible that they personally just said, hey, we're going to follow Paul, we're going to assist him, we're going to be his personal ministers, and we don't care if we have to give up our freedom. And as God's people, we really do that for Christ. We, We give up our personal freedom in order to serve and to follow him. And that is the greatest servitude, and really that is the greatest freedom we can experience in this life. Well, as we notice here in our story, we're going to begin in verse 7. I got the old King James, so bear with me. I tried to switch to new King James, but you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So I'm stuck in the old King James. And when we had sailed slowly many days, this is uh, Paul along with, uh, there's 276 members on this journey and Paul is a prisoner of Rome and then you have other prisoners earlier it speaks of uh, of the other prisoners the word others in the Greek it it speaks of others of a different kind and very likely these other prisoners were uh, being shipped off to Rome and they were uh, they were under a death sentence and they would very likely be killed in uh, the circus. That wasn't a circus like Barnum and Bailey, but you know the gladiators and uh, fighting and being um, misused and, and really uh, slaughtered for entertainment. So it's a very large crew. They're on a, a vessel headed to Rome. Paul is going to see Caesar Nero. So that's uh, where we pick up with these individuals. And as they're sailing, uh, they're having a difficult time. Sailed s- slowly, it says, many days and scarce uh, scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us. So they were having a difficult time. We sailed under Crete over against Salmone. And hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, near whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, in other words, the equipment and the ship, but also of our lives. So as they're sailing and as they're on their way to Rome, they actually change ships. We see previously to a a, a sailing barge that carries grain from Egypt all the way to Rome and that's uh, basically one of the the major contributors to the to the wheat there in Rome was was Egypt they you know brought the these big barges up and so they they hop ship they're on this very large barge this big sailing ship and they're on their way to Rome and as they're going you see they're having a very difficult time because the wind is against them and they're 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 struggling they barely make it into port and as they do, they have a decision to make. And Julius, he is the one who is directing that which is taking place here. And he is a centurion. Now, a centurion is a, a Roman soldier over a hundred men. And uh, the, these individuals were 
great soldiers. They were men of integrity for the most part. And this individual has been given uh, jurisdiction, or I should say he's, he's governing the affairs on the ship and making decisions. So this is an important decision that Julius is going to make. Should we stay here or should we go? As they're, they're sailing, all of them have experienced the bad weather. There's bad weather that has taken place. And as they cruise into this port, Paul speaks to Julius and he tells him, listen, I perceive, now this word to perceive in in the Greek is actually a word that means to perceive from past experience. Paul had been in three shipwrecks, so he knew what it was like. Uh, Even though he was a Jew, uh, he had been in three shipwrecks throughout his uh, throughout his life and so he's telling them from experience look at um you know what it, it, i can tell you something here i've been in three shipwrecks uh we should we shouldn't go any further i perceive i'm and and i believe the lord is speaking through paul here and and telling him look at you guys i i've i've gone through this before personal experience but also i believe the lord's speaking through paul and letting them know this this is a dangerous journey we're taking now, as we make decisions in life, God is always faithful, as we see here, to warn us. When we're about to make a bad decision, God is always faithful to warn us. Here's Julius. Now, I believe Julius becomes a Christian. And we don't have time to go through the rest of the story, uh, the rest of the chapter this morning, but you can go through it on, on, your, own, on your own time at your leisure. And um, you can come to your own conclusion. I believe that Julius does become a believer, and God very graciously has Paul the Apostle on this ship. And once again, remember, most of these guys are under a death sentence. God, in his mercy and grace, has Paul the Apostle there. And I believe most of, if not all of the members of this ship get saved. But Paul is there. God, he is always so wonderful. And he is in your life, in my life, always faithful to warn us when we're about to do something that is dangerous, something that, you know, is just flat out stupid. And Paul the Apostle, he's faithful to tell him, look, we've already had the practical signs that this isn't going to be good. We've we've had the physical signs. We've been through terrible weather already. And he mentions the fact that the fast was already over. That is uh, the Day of Atonement, the fast that is connected with that. The Day of Atonement, or that you see that took place in September, October of the year. And for sailing in the Mediterranean, the Aegean, the Ionic, the the, the, uh, adjacent seas that are connected to the Aegean and and to the uh, Mediterranean, um, from September to November, it's not it's not a good time to see. It's possible, but it's it's just it's it's going bad and and getting worse. From November from mid November through February, it was impossible. So already they have signs, and I believe uh, these signs are to show. Hey, look at this! This is not a good time. You, from a practical standpoint, shouldn't be going, and also from uh, personal experience, they know that sailors don't cruise the Mediterranean during this time of the year. Also, from a spiritual perspective, Paul, he chimes in. Listen, I perceive. 
I perceive from past experience this isn't gonna this isn't gonna be a good time. We're going to lose. We're go- there's gonna be damage that's going to take place. Now in verse eleven it tells us this a very important word. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. So as the non-believing element on that ship was actually making the decision as far as, you know, Julius, I, you know, I'm not sure if he's converted yet. I believe by the end of the story he, he gets converted. But these other guys, you have the, uh, the pilot or the captain and then you have the master or the owner. And, and along with Julius, they get together, these three guys, and uh, they listen to what Paul has to say. But, you know, for them, you know, Paul's a tourist. He's a Jew. And Jews, historically, traditionally, were scared to death of the open ocean, of the open sea. They had the Sea of Galilee, a five-by-ten lake there in, in Israel, and that was big enough for them. But beyond that, the Mediterranean, they were not sailors. They were not seafaring, they were not the seafaring people. They were scared of uh, the, the, the giant critters that were under the, the ocean at that time. And, you know, uh, just, just the whales and uh, sharks and all that kind of stuff, giant squid. So they just kind of stayed away. And spiritually speaking, they felt it was just a, a creepy place. Well, Paul says, hey, I don't think this is a good decision. And they, as we see here, nevertheless, the centurion, which is Julius, believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. When you think about it, this world is experiencing a great storm because they haven't listened to Paul. They haven't listened to the word of God. Paul the Apostle wrote most of the New Testament. Just think if the world took heed to what Paul said in, in, in the Word of God, what Paul has given to us in Scripture. And as God's people, we, we should be taking heed to what Paul has told us in his epistles. And if we do, hey, things are going to go well. We're going to be able to navigate storms, and we're going to be able to avoid being shipwrecked. Well, nevertheless, these guys, they, they determine... You know, they get together, and Julius, he's the one that is going to be making the final decision. But in verse 12, it tells us, and because the haven was not commodious, you know, it was not comfortable, it just, it faced the wind, or, you know, the direction of the wind there in the, um, the, the harbor itself, it faced the wind, it was open to the wind. Because the haven, the harbor, was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence if by any means they might attain to Phoenix or Phoenix and there to winter, which is a harbor or a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. So we see in this decision-making process, one of the factors was comfortability, just to be comfortable. Hey, uh, this isn't just we're not comfortable with this staying here we're not comfortable it's this is the wrong direction with the wind but look at they could have stayed in that harbor and have been safe they could have been on dry land and behind the protection of that harbor but instead oh this is a we're just we're not comfortable here so often as god's people what god calls us to do is not comfortable we must take that into consideration if we make decisions based on how comfortable we are with them. 
uh, we're, we're going to make a, long, a, a lot of bad decisions because God asks us to do many things that we're not comfortable with. You know, sharing the gospel with people, telling those individuals that we love about Jesus Christ, co-workers, neighbors, family members. It's, it's not always comfortable. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you can't wait to do it. But for many of us, if not most of us, all of us, there are many things that God asks us to do that are just simply, from a personal standpoint, just uncomfortable. Whether it's witnessing, whether it's moving to a a new area, whether it's uh, obeying Him. To simply obey God, it takes denying the flesh you know i'm not comfortable denying my flesh but god asked me he asked you in this gospel in the gospel of luke if any man will come after me let him deny himself pick up his cross and follow me and in luke it tells us daily it's a daily put you know putting off the flesh taking on the cross putting on the new man and walking with christ in that that is denying self denying self picking up the cross so comfortability not being comfortable. Julius decides, you know what, we're just, just not comfortable here. I also personally believe, as we look at the situation, they're on a grain ship, that there was a financial factor here. Hey, you know, uh, if we stay here in the Fair Havens, that's a, that's a nice place, by the way, isn't it? It sounds just wonderful, the Fair Havens. Hey, if we stay here in the Fair Havens, uh, we're, we're going to miss out. We're not, we're not, we got to get closer, financially speaking. And I believe that that was a factor here in the decision that Julius makes. And sometimes when we're stressed out financially, we, we can make horrible decisions. Well, you know, I'm going, uh, you know, I don't really feel that this is the Lord's will, this job's the Lord's will, but I can make a lot of money. Or maybe this business venture I'm getting into you know, it's a bunch of non-believers and I'm going to be unequally yoked with them or maybe one person as a, a partner what, where it's a co-op with another individual, but that other individual is a non-believer and you want to engage in a, a business venture with that individual and you're unequally yoked. Well, yeah, but gosh, I'm, Lord, I'm going to make so much money and besides that, I'm going to give you 10%. So, Lord, this is really going to benefit you. It's important that finances money isn't the bottom line with us as god's people hey i'm going to do this because i can make a lot of money you know it's an ungodly uh you know horrible profession but i'm going to do it anyway because i can make a lot of money that shouldn't be the basis for the decisions we make we also see here that julius believed the experts you know, the experts, you got the captain there, you've got the owner. These guys are seasoned vets, you know. And uh, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those which were spoken by Paul. There are a lot of experts out there. We, we live in a world filled with ex- or so-called experts. When any of them contradict God's word. You always go with God's word. It's, it's a vital lesson for us as God's people to learn. Never go with the experts or the so-called experts when it is contrary to Scripture. 
God's word is 100% accurate. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And there have been, hey, you know, if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know this by experience. The experts so often are wrong. Be careful. The professor, the high school, you know, the biology teacher, whatever, uh, the psychologist, psychiatrists, whatever the case is, politicians, whenever they defy or speak against, give counsel contrary to the word of God, it will always be wrong. You can trust your eternity. You can bet your life on God's word. And really, that's what we've done, haven't we, as God's people? We've, we've placed our eternity in God's hands. Lord, I, I believe, I'm believing that your word is, is real. It's true. And I'm putting my faith in you not in the experts. Now, hey, it's important that we have experts. We all recognize. I, I want an expert working on my car. I want an expert working on my teeth. I want an expert, you know, operating on my body when, when need be. But whenever the experts say something that is not scriptural, and this, a lot of people have gone wrong. Oh, but the experts told me. He's a professional. He knows more than, you know, Paul the Apostle, and, you know, that was a long time ago. It's archaic. Scripture, no, it it is not. It is eternal. Well, believing the experts can be dangerous. And not only that, but we see it was a decision made in haste. A decision made in haste. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means... They might attain to Phoenix. Hey, we got to we got to get out of here. We got to you know it was only a forty mile uh, forty mile journey from where they were to Phoenix, and another harbor, not in Arizona, but there you know in, in, in uh, Asia Minor, uh, uh, you, you know which what uh, now uh, Southern Europe. Got to get there quick. Look, as God's people, that will always get us in trouble. So often, as Believers, we are called to wait on the Lord. He that believeth, it tells us in Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. He that believeth shall not make haste. And Old King James is not, not going to make a hasty decision or just uh, push things through, just to really make things happen. I, you know, I got to, I got to get this thing done. I does. In Isaiah chapter forty, it says, "They that wait on the Lord." They that wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. Isaiah 40, verse 31. So often as God's people, we, we must wait. We sing the song, we must wait, wait, wait. I can't sing, but we must wait on the Lord. And it's difficult, isn't it? I, I don't like waiting on the Lord. But I have found that, as Julius is going to find out, that it, it pays off. And you make a whole, a whole lot better decisions when you just wait, wait, wait on the Lord. We also see that Julius he uses a means by which you know the one of the ways by which he makes this decision is that he takes a poll. He gets the majority to give their decision. And look, this isn't the way God does things. The majority rules that that works uh in, in some situations, you know when you're with a bunch of people and you're trying to figure out where to go eat, hey you know, the majority rules. 
And in this country, when, when, when we vote, the majority rules for, for the better, for the worse. And, but look, God isn't running a democracy in our walks with him. He's running a theocracy. It's God, God is ruling and reigning. And he's not saying, well, you know, Mark, uh, I, I'm really glad you got this majority opinion on your side because now I changed my mind. God doesn't do that. His counsel is immutable. It is sovereign. So God, he's not looking for a majority decision. He's not asking for pointers. He's not, uh, he's not, he doesn't, he's not considering the general consensus. But, you know, so often, even as God's people, we think, gosh, everybody thinks this is the right decision to make. Everybody is doing this kind of a thing, even as believers. And, uh, hey, that not, uh, there's no way that many people can be wrong. Yes, they can. As we study Scripture, we find from Genesis to Revelation, we, as we study the entire Bible, generally speaking, virtually on every single occasion, the crowd is always wrong. The majority is always off. So you should take that into consideration. Hey, I'm not looking, I'm looking to you, Lord. I'm not looking for the majority. But Julius, you see, that's, that's where he was at. And hey, you know, it's three against one. You know, he takes the, it, the poll, three against one. Paul, uh, sorry, but um, going a different direction. And if you can imagine, wouldn't it be wonderful to have Paul with us all the time? Hey, Paul, you know, uh, what do you think about this? Paul, what do you, th- the, the, the bad thing about that is we have a tendency to want to ask Paul about everything instead of going to the Lord. And in reality, as God's people, we have much better because the Holy Spirit is with you, you know, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he's here to help us navigate life. And so we're to be t- dependent upon him. And he has give, Paul has given us the word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking through his word. Well, majority rules us out as God's people. Then we see in... The next verse, verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, in other words, they uh, hoisted up the anchor, they sailed close by Crete. Now, this was the clincher because the weather had changed. And so often as God's people, we are fooled by outward appearances. Remember in the Old Testament, way back in 1 Samuel, we have one of the most godly men in the Bible. His name was, his name was Samuel. He was a judge over Israel. He was ruling over Israel. He was also a prophet. And uh, God had told him to go to the house of Jesse to select the next king. Jesse, he has many sons. And uh, he's looking, oh, surely this is the Lord's right. And, but as he's with the, the Lord, he's not bearing witness to all these uh, good-looking, tall, uh, wonderful sons that Jesse has. And so he's going, gosh, you know what? Um, you got a lot of, you know, tall, good-looking guys here, but the Lord hasn't chosen any of them. You got any, is there any other son? No, well, I do have another son. He's, he's just a kid, though. He's out tending the sheep. Bring him in. And as soon as he sees him, as soon as he sees him, behold, the Lord's anointed. Just a, probably 12 or 13 years of age. Nobody in Israel would have chosen, even his own father, but God chose him. And remember what the Lord said, gently rebuking Samuel, man looketh on the outward appearance, God looketh on the heart. So often we're fooled by outward appearances. And the devil knows that. So be careful, be discerning. 
You know, Paul perceived. He saw beyond what everybody else was seeing. We need to be able to discern beyond the physical into the spiritual. See, be, you know, uh, past the veneer of what everything looks like and to see how the Lord sees things. Discerning, using the wisdom that God gives us in His Word and by, by, the Spirit, by His Holy Spirit. So this here, the decision being made because, hey, we've got exact, man, we've got this wonderful south wind blowing. Oh, this is, this is beautiful. This is perfect. You know, what does Paul know? He's just, the guy's, you know, he's a Jew. He doesn't know what he's, he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's, but you know, 2 Corinthians 5, what did Paul tell us? We walk by faith and not by sight. So be careful. The enemy's great at making things look a certain way, painting a picture. Look deeper. We are to also look, you know, past the temporary. What it means in the, you know, from a temporal standpoint and looking at the long run. What does God say? What does he say from eternal perspective? Well, we're going to see that these experts, um, obviously, they're going to be wrong. So they, they take off, they hoist anchor, verse 14, but not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind. That, mean, that word tempestuous, so we get our English word for typhoon. So it's a typhoon, very wind, called Eurocleta. It was about a month ago you guys experienced some uh, you know, horrible weather here. So it was one of those kind of things. It's just not windy, kind of a blown-out victory at sea situation. This is where you know, you're, you're just holding on for dear life. It's a white knuckler, you know. And it's just wind is blown. And it, this is very, very important for us as God's people. This temp- it says tempestuous, a typhoon, but it's called this storm in that area is called the Eurocladon. It sounds like one of the, the monsters that Godzilla fought, right? You know, the Eurocladon. Uh, it, it, it really means literally a northeasterner. It's a wind from the northeast. And where I'm from, from California, uh, those northeast winds are, are cold and um, they're strong. And that's kind of the predominant wind in Lompoc. But um, not like this. It's, we don't ever get typhoons or hurricanes. It's uh, right away. They leave poor. Oh, this is wonderful. This is, this is great. And as God's people, you know, when we disobey the Lord, when we rebel against God and we do that which is contrary to God's word, you know, sometimes things will go great. You go, wow, God's word must be wrong. Look, it's temporary. Things are going wonderful. <laughs> you know, I thought it was wrong for me to, to do this in business, but man, you know, you should see how much money I'm making. Just wait. Just wait. Storm's coming. Eurocladon, the northeasterner. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. Notice how quickly man loses control. Hey, everything's going wonderfully. Nothing, couldn't ask for more. Notice how quickly things change. And, And for us as God's people, you might be doing well, might think things are great even though you're compromising or just flat out being disobedient look it's going to get bad and it is amazing how fast how quickly isn't it we lose control you look at the world you think they got everything you know batten down the hatches 
We, the, we, we live in a world that's out of control. And it's because they've disobeyed God. But, you know, with people, with these guys, these are, these are seasoned vets. And immediately, it is, it is so bad that, hey, we, there's nothing we can do. This is just out of control. And when people live in rebellion and they, they're, they're experiencing, you know, they've sown to the wind and they're reaping the whirlwind, things are out of control in their life. And it, it becomes evident very quickly. So they just let the thing go. There's nothing they could do. Let it drive. In running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. And, uh, verse 17, which when we had taken up, they, they had a dinghy behind them. And so they, they come underneath an island, which gives them a short respite of, uh, gives them a break from the wind, but it's still bad. They, with that break, they're able to hoist in the dinghy, put it on board, and then they, they keep sailing. So it's still out of control. They have a, a brief moment where they're able to bring the dinghy on board and could not bear up into the wind, let it drive, and running, oh, we read that, verse 17. Uh, so they get help. It says they used helps undergirding the ship. This is called frapping, where they use uh, metal cables to tie around the ship. They run them around the ship, and then they, they winch them tight so that, you know, those ships are obviously, they're made out of wood. So they, they just bring everything together in order to kind of a, a last-ditch effort to hold things together. As believers, sometimes we do that. You know, when we're in a storm, life's out of control. You know, we, we, we fake it. You know, we try and pull things together. We, whatever, we, we just say the right thing, act the right way, then we get home and collapse. God knows. And humanly speaking, you know, we, we can make things look a little better on the outside. You know, we can put cables around it and winch it together and, you know, pull things. But underneath, it's all falling apart. And as God's people... It's so important that we're, we're honest with the Lord, that we're honest with him. Lord, I, I'm falling apart. I, I've been in this area of compromise or disobedience, and God, uh, I, I need your help. Instead of faking it and saying, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of keep things together here, see, see how things ride out. Well, they, they use the frapping, you know, the metal to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand that's a sandbar strike sail and so we're driven and you know when we let go of god and the things of god and the word of god you know the enemy uh, just blows us around he drives us and uh, our flesh it drives us to do things that are ridiculous and so detrimental and destructive but Make sure this this morning that you are led of the Lord, not driven by the flesh, not not driven by the winds of this world. God leads us still waters. He's faithful to do so if we are willing to be led. But He doesn't drive us. <laughs> he's not He's not into driving us like cattle or driving us like the wind on a you know the, on a ship the sails of a a vessel and being exceedingly tossed 
with a tempest. The next day, they lighted the ship. So in other words, they're throwing valuable things off the ship. And the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And equipment, vital equipment for the, hey, it's either our lives or the ship, this equipment. We just got to get rid of it and just hope for the best. And another aspect of making wrong decisions I believe that we see here is that whenever you start to lose those things which are most valuable to you, or you're in the process of losing things that are... Because, you know, when as God's people, if we're living in sin, that's what happens. We lose friendship. We lose jobs. We lose fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we begin to lose those things that are so valuable. And back in, uh, in our church in Calvary Lompoc, there's a, we have a wonderful doctor, a good doctor there. And uh, he was talking about something with me we were discussing an individual uh well, actually an individual was walking out uh he was a well-known drunk walking out the street with his um he had escaped from the hospital but he still had his his hospital gown on and um he was he was telling relaying to me because we were talking about this he said you know um when a person is so given over to uh, alcohol or drugs he said their their brain enters a a phase kind of an autopilot where that is they're just totally that's all they can think about and he was convinced this guy was heading for the liquor store to buy some alcohol but um your, your brain can just zero it where your emotions everything nothing else matters that which is most important none of that matters because i've got to have that that bottle i got to have that that next hit that next fix it's a sad it's a, you know it's just being driven and as we look at the story, also notice, you know, he's got 276 passengers here. All of them are affected by the decision of one man. Bad decision. One man makes a bad decision, and all these people are suffering. And you got Paul the Apostle on board. That is precious cargo. And all these people are just because one man makes a bad decision. You know, as, as God's people, it's important for us to remember Romans tells us that no man liveth or dieth unto himself. That means that, as the old saying goes, no man's an island. It kind of goes with our story this morning. No man's an island. Every decision you make is going to affect those around you. And I'm not talking about, you know, should I buy Oreos or, uh, you know, uh, animal cookies. or Not those kind of, but just, you know, major decisions that are, they, they will affect everyone around you. It's just the way it is. God has us intertwined in the fellowship as God's people, the church. And when one person falls, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When someone else is weeping in the body of Christ, we weep with them. But we affect one another. We're, we're the body of Christ. The arms, the legs, the, the toenails, the corpuscles. You know, it's a gigantic church. But we affect one another intricately. One man's bad decision, 276 passengers affected. And it's, it's a common tragedy. You know, when you think about it, being impatient, listening to expert advice over the Word of God, following the crowd, you know, the majority rules kind of thing, trusting ideal conditions that are contrary to God's Word, not walking by faith but walking by sight. You know, it's easy to do those things. It's easy to get in trouble as a believer. It's just, it's just really easy. And the devil's out there prodding you. Oh yeah, go here, do that, say this. On a constant, you know, we're we're constantly 
being tempted by the enemy. We're constantly being confronted by temptation, the things of this world. And man, we, we really need to be those who are depending upon our captain, the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, looking to him, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. They're throwing out all the tackling of the equipment and very likely all their food. But it says in verse 20, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Absolutely hopeless. Hey, we, there's no way, humanly speaking, we can... And they spend two weeks out on the the ocean. Yeah, that's a long time to be... Sh- you know, just ship, just, that ship just floating around, and, you know, there's sharks, and it's just, hey, we just absolutely gave up. We recognized that it was, ab- humanly speaking, absolutely hopeless. And uh, this world, it, it's hopeless. Outside of Christ, it's hopeless. And when you consider this situation that they're in, Hopeless state. You know, they're looking uh, to the sun. They can't see the sun. They can't see the stars. It's just one of those kind of storms where it's continually dark for 14 days, 14 nights. Horrible. Very, and I've been out in the ocean when it's been huge, you know, 20-foot swells. And, and you're just on a boat going over those swells, and you go with a bat on the boat. You can't see the land, and you're just going, wow. You know, that's a, that's a you know, it, it's very intimidating. And you can easily get in trouble out in the ocean. And in this world, we get in trouble real quickly, as we see here this morning. But it, this is a hopeless situation. And they're looking to the sun. They can't see it. Looking at the But, you know, as God's people, we look to a different sun. Not the S-U-N, but we look to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he is always visible to us as God's people. So if you're lost this morning and you're not a child of God, you can be saved. You can look to the S-O-N and be saved this morning from whatever storm you're in. If you're a child of God that has rebelled, that has disobeyed God, hey, go back to the Son. Look to Jesus Christ. He, will, he is going to navigate that path for you. He's going to give you all the information, all the counsel all the discernment and wisdom that is necessary to navigate the storm you're in and to avoid the shipwreck that would be ultimately at the end. Well, as we close this morning, it's important for you to realize, you know, Julius made a bad decision. This morning, it's important that you make the right decision. You are you think of the decision that Julius made, how important that was. It infected 276 people. There's a more important decision this morning for you if you don't know Jesus Christ. And that is to receive him as your Lord and Savior, as your captain, and to put your faith in him. Because he is the only hope. He is our blessed hope. And if you will put your faith in him, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you'll put your faith in him, he will save you. From you know, Look, this, this ship is going, this world, analogous to a ship, this ship is going down. I think all of us can see that this morning. Um, God can bless us as the ship is going down, but it's going down. We know that from uh, Matthew 24. We know uh, Mark 13, Luke 21, book of Revelation. This, this planet is, is, is headed towards tribulation, and it's, it's, it's sinking. And there is only one hope, and it's Jesus Christ. He is the lifesaver. Probably the most famous shipwreck of all time, the Titanic. And think about this for a minute. The night, let's say two hours before the ship goes down, a couple hours, who is the most popular person on the ship? Who is the richest guy on the ship? 
Who's the most beautiful woman on the ship? Who is the most handsome guy? Doesn't matter. They, they, they all experience the same fate. No, I said, oh gosh, I wish I, I could have been that famous person on the Titanic. No, I'm glad I wasn't. Hey, this ship is going down too. And, and God, he, he's, he's, he's there to counsel you so that you don't make the same bad decisions that non-believers have made for thousands and thousands of years. It's time to, to jump ship. <laughs> hey, to get on, the, get on board with Christ. And I didn't start out thinking of all these puns and stuff. Just kind of. But uh, look, don't be a castaway. You know, Gilligan, Skipper, you know, the rest of them. Hey, make sure, and that's a scriptural term. You know, Paul uses that term, castaway. You want to make sure that you're on board with Christ and, you, you know, you've got, he wants to direct your life from here and all, through, all throughout eternity. And he, without him, it is hopeless. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you're going. The only possible means of salvation and hope is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. And Lord, we first of all, we want to pray for those who are here this morning that might not know you. We pray that they would put their faith in you, that they would look to you at this time. And Father, that they would be saved. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, and the Holy Spirit, he lets you know. You know, it, it's very uncomfortable. He's, he convicts you. And uh, the Father draws you into His kingdom, and you, it's a very difficult time for a non-believer because it's 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 convicting and it's it's uncomfortable. But if that's you this morning, don't worry about being comfortable because you'll be comfortable for all eternity. It might be bad here, but you want to make sure that you're safe for all eternity. The ship's going down, and if that's you, you can just simply, in the quietness of your heart, if you want Christ, you can repeat this prayer after me. God will hear your silent prayer. Father, forgive me for my sins. I receive Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior of my life. I believe that you died, that you rose again from the grave. And right now, I give you my life. I put my faith in you. And I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit. Father, as your people also this morning, we pray that Lord, for those of us that are going through great difficulty, stormy conditions, Father, we pray that we might listen to, to your instructions and, and realizing, God, that you, you know the beginning from the end and you know exactly what we need to do. May we be faithful to obey you and to turn from those decisions that we know are wrong and that we might honor you with our lives, denying ourselves, picking up the cross, and following you. And we ask these things, Father, to your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.